Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's June 16th. 1824, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. If you were about to launch a pioneering new society to prevent cruelty to animals, would you think twice before booking a venue called Old Slaughter's Coffee House? <laughs> I would, but not London vicar Arthur Broom, who today in history in 1824 gathered together the 22 founding members of what would become the RSPCA at that cafe, which, to be fair, was named after its founder Thomas Slaughter, not the killing of sentient beings, and was mainly a place you went to play whist. Yeah, so as you say, there'd be brought together by Arthur Broom, who was, as well as being the vicar of St Mary's in Bow, was also an early animal welfare campaigner. But the main member of the group who had come there that day was the Irish MP Richard Martin, who was widely known as Humanity Dick. And thanks to Martin, Parliament had recently passed the first legislation of its kind against the mistreatment specifically of horses and cattle. But asked why he defended animals, Martin once replied, Sir, an ox cannot hold a pistol. Uh, and it's true, it wasn't just rhetoric. He had, it is true that an ox can't hold a pistol, that is true. But he had also fought at least one duel over cruelty to a dog. Yeah, the nickname Humanity Dick was supposedly bestowed upon him by George IV, and it was a vast departure from his previous nickname, Hair Trick Dick, earned from all the duels. <laughs> all of these terms should not be Googled. <laughs> and this act that he had passed was called Martin's Act, and he kind of, and I'm not quite sure how he did this, but he took people to court himself under the act. The first person to fall afoul was a Bill Burns accused of abusing a donkey. The donkey was brought into court so the magistrates could see its injuries. I think to us, we're like, yeah, that would be sad to see a donkey with all these horrible mm. beating wounds. Like, yes, that would be very moving to see in a courtroom. But at the time, you know, in the kind of more rough and tumble climate of the era, that was seen as being completely ludicrous. Newspapers had cartoons depicting a donkey yeah. in the courtroom. In fact, actually, when the Times were describing the passage of Martin's Act, he had tried to pass it the previous year and it was rejected. And the Times article describes the atmosphere of mockery that prevailed. Someone was going to speak and the, the Times wrote, the Honourable Alderman went to show the humanity and the necessity of affording protection to asses, but we could not catch the particulars of his remarks owing to the noise and laughter which prevailed. Yeah, yeah there'd actually been prior efforts at anti-animal cruelty legislation. There was an unsuccessful attempt by Sir William Pultenay to pass legislation through Parliament to ban the practice of bull baiting. Um, in 1809, Lord Erskine introduced an anti-cruelty bill that was passed in the House of Lords, but was actually defeated by a vote in the House of Commons. So there wasn't kind of a groundswell yet building up to this moment. There were people who cared, but so far Parliament hadn't yet acted prior to that act by Martin. 
Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember this is the 1820s, so all those social reform movements we associate with the Victorian era mm. haven't kicked in yet, and animals were still largely viewed as almost machinery for human exploitation. And those who were interested in animal rights were seen as being faintly ludicrous cranks or worse. You know, a reverend who published a sermon in 1772 against cruelty to animals was accused of besmirching the dignity of the pulpit by mentioning mm. dogs and horses, you know, and derided as mad. There was an interesting account I saw from a horse trainer called Jack Lawrence, and he wrote in 1796 of an incident where he tried to remonstrate with a man who was flogging a horse. And he wrote, The reply I obtained was, God damn my eyes, Jack, you were talking as though the horse was a Christian. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, from that point of view, this is a good crew that Arthur Broom put together on this day because they did have respectability and cover off a wide range of high society. I mean, also in this initial group was the MP William Mm. Wilberforce, who'd been known for campaigning to end slavery in the British colonies. And also Lewis Gompertz, who was this really pioneering sort of prototype vegan, really. Mm. He was a vegetarian, but also he was like, and I don't want to wear clothes that are Mm. made of animal, and I don't believe that uh, animals should be used on human whims. He'd written this very well-regarded book, Moral Inquiries on the Situation of Man and of Brutes, which for about a century was this really important text for vegetarians. Yeah, so all of these people together did form the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. The royal patronage didn't come until about 1840. And the aim in Martin's words was to alter the moral feeling of the community, but they were really split on how they should go about it. Some said they should continue going down this route of prosecuting people for their violations of Martin's law, which was now in the statute books. But others thought that the best way was through sermons to better compel, quote, the lower orders of the people to think and act like those of the superior classes. There was classism built into it from the beginning. You know, most of the people being prosecuted under the laws were working class people accused of mistreating an animal that they relied on for their living, like a horse or a donkey, rather than aristocrats who were fox hunting and owning vast herds Mm. of cattle who were often equally mistreated. But I think on a society-wide level, there was so much to do in changing public opinion. And I think it's understandable at the time in a way that there was so much human misery. It's easy to see how Mm. the average person just didn't have the emotional energy to worry about animals, especially when it wasn't really ingrained in culture. Yeah, and there wasn't an NSPCC for like another Mm, 40 years. (laughs) The NSPCC wasn't founded until 1884, the National Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children, not because people thought that it was less bad to beat children than it was to beat animals, but because, you know, an Englishman's right to beat his child was held as even more sacred than his right to beat his horse. But that classism that you're talking about really was clarified by the fact that in 1824 the SPCA brought 63 offenders before the courts, but all of them had been from Smithfield markets. That's where they were picked up. They were the drovers who were bringing in their cattle and they were convicted of cruelty thanks to the employment of Charles Wheeler, who was taken on by the society for this exact purpose, basically to stand around watching and seeing whether there is any animal abuse and then finding the people who were guilty of it and convicting them and bringing them before the court. They're not the wealthy people. Yeah, because as well, they needed all the upper classes on their side. Mm. And they're not going to start going around clamping down on bird hunting and fox hunting and things that the aristocrats like. Bill Burns, the guy who uh, was cruel to his donkey, he was a fruit and veg seller. Mm. Like, that's who they were up in arms about. You know, whereas, of course, there were just as many cruelties to animals being perpetrated in the names of these people on their country estates. Just didn't do to point those out. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it was all about this public perception. So it was easier to go after people who were already looked down upon as being the, you know, sort of the symbol of this crusade. And, you know, and communicating the idea that if you did care about animal rights, you weren't like those people. You were a more rarefied, more sensitive class of human being. And I think it's no coincidence that a lot of the founding members were really involved in the abolition movement. I think that link is a bit uncomfortable now because, you know, it's a bit, it doesn't seem very appropriate to compare humans and animals. But in the early 19th century, this was one of the earliest organised humanitarian causes so abolition acted as a bit of a gateway drug. People started thinking, oh, maybe we should be compassionate about other things as well. Mm. Well, it's moral inequity, isn't it? And of course, that's very tied in with Christianity. Hence, you have a reverend setting up a meeting on this day. But then that itself has kind of unpleasant byproducts as it evolves. Because, for example, Gompertz, who I was talking about earlier, he was the second honorary secretary of the society, but was forced to resign in 1833, because the governing committee created a resolution that limited membership to the SPCA to Christians. Mm. And he was a Jew. So it was kind of like even one of their founding members, if they weren't ostensibly Christian enough, God fearing enough, that was going to get in their way of the path of getting what they ultimately got, which which was the royal patronage of Queen Victoria, to say, we have the stamp of approval, this is what all good men believe in. Incidentally, Gompertz only came in because Broom had completely run the society out of money, which again highlights the fact that this wasn't a cause that was easy to sell at the time. Broom actually went to prison for the debts that he'd run up, and it was only after he got out that then they were like, actually, I think you ought to step down, (laughs) given the whole bankruptcy farrago, and that was what allowed gone perts in but you know it really did highlight the fact that people weren't actually in a position to be supporting this cause financially if even morally yeah i mean broom had personally brought several prosecutions under martin's act and personally funded an inspector to oversee welfare at smithfield market and then he had put himself up as a guarantor for the spca's debts and all of this determination to put his money where his mouth is would be his downfall. You know, his wife left him, he developed a drinking problem, and then he died of TB in 1837 and was buried in an unmarked grave. So considering that really, like, love of animals has become a defining trait of the British character, he didn't get his recognition at all in his lifetime. Mm. But what's extraordinary is what they did achieve by the time they had Victoria's royal seal. I mean, they had succeeded in this propaganda campaign, really, to change the public perception of the role of animals from commodities to sentient beings that you needed to be responsible for morally. The SPCA was launched five years before the police force. Mm. And so actually, when they came to create the Metropolitan Police in 1829, it was to the SPCA that they looked to get the template of uniforms and truncheons, because that's how SPCA inspectors used to walk around then. Yeah. So what kind of things were they campaigning on in 1824? Well, the plucking of live poultry. Uh, That seems pretty cruel. Mm -hmm. Adding crabs and lobsters to cold water and then bringing it to the boil was another campaign of theirs. Having said they didn't target posh people. Mm. That doesn't seem like one that you should start off with. (laughs) You mean bear baiting might be more of concern? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of under under the impression that people still did that with crabs. The way we're (laughs) treating this caviar is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.